Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for your prophets. And Lord, you've even sent prophets to this nation to declare your truth. And we come here tonight ready to listen to your word. Ready to be convicted by your word. Oh, Jesus, let your spirit dwell here tonight. We want just Jesus stuff. We don't want anything else. We want to be looking at the cross. We want to be looking at your salvation and your gospel and your truth. So please, Father, speak to us in a powerful way tonight. We need your touch. We need your direction. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Yes, the book of Joel tonight. Very short book, actually. We just finished Hosea. It's a bummer because we really only got to look one time at Hosea. Last week was Agape Feast, and I was going to dive into some of the chapter, but it just held back. The Lord had a different message for that night. But the book of Hosea, do you remember? Just a small recap. I mean, what is the picture? What is the message of it? Hey, God tells a man, his name Hosea, he tells him to go marry a prostitute. Isn't that crazy? Why? He tells him to go marry a prostitute to show the relationship that God has with his people. To show how much his people cheat on him and act like a whore and a slut. Walking around doing things that they shouldn't. Can you imagine marrying a prostitute? Guys, would that be your pick, your choice? Let's go find a wife. Let's go down to L.A. Find a prostitute. That's my wife. Can you imagine her running out on you time after time after time? How many times did you take her back? Hey, God takes you back every time, doesn't he? What a great God we serve. And that is the message of Hosea. And tonight we will look at our God who continues to save despite our wickedness. The book of Joel, we will see three sections. We will see tonight this problem that is happening in the nation we don't, ignore, we don't know exactly what the problem is, but we know that there is a big one. There is a subtle pulling towards drunkenness and partying in the nation, but it doesn't say specifically what's happening, like idolatry. We don't know what. What we do know is they are rebellious people. They are turning from God once again. That's what we'll see. And so what happens? Locusts come in and devour the land, the economy falls out of the nation. Then we see a calling to repentance from Joel. And then we see how God desires to restore all that the locust has eaten away. All of it. And so the challenge tonight, I, I think I'm going to read, I, I, I mean, I have King James for you. And it may be difficult me trying to translate and read to you through King James. And so I thought I'd bring ESV to you tonight. Since we're going to be reading a lot. And that I could just plow through it with you and just enjoy the text. Is that okay? Alright, so English Standard Version tonight. If you have your Bibles open to Joel chapter 1. 
Did you find the book of Joel? Yeah, right there in the center of your Bible. Yeah, very, almost the center. Psalm 118 is the center. Joel chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Are you there? The word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Phethel. This is basically the only thing we really know about Joel, his dad's name. We don't know much about him. Simply the tribe that he came from and who his father is. We don't know anything about his father. There's a couple other Joels in the Bible that we see. It's a very popular name. But we don't really hear much about this man other than the book right before us. He gives a a short message to the nation of Israel. But it's a powerful one. This is all we hear of him. He stands up and proclaims. He was probably preaching to the people somewhere around 830 B.C. And it was probably around the time of Elijah, the prophet, reigning around the same time as that. And so it says, the word of the Lord came to Joel. I like that. The word of the Lord came to who? Joel. When's the last time the word of the Lord came to you? The word of the Lord needs to be coming to us daily. I wrote something in my journal today. I'll share it with you. Mm. This is my journal. And I write down every time God speaks to me in it. We must always respond to what we see in the word. You hear that? When you read the word, you must always respond. No matter where we read in the scripture, the word of God demands a response. Our aim should be to ruthlessly obey the commands of God without apology. A buddy wrote that to me in an email, ripped me to shreds, broke me down. Because it showed the great need of when you read the scriptures to understand what it's saying and then apply it to your life instantly, ruthlessly, without any apology. We are to instruct and to live The word of the Lord. Listen, Christian, listen to me, please. The sad thing that is happening in this day and age is that there are people going weeks and even months at a time without even hearing the word of the Lord for their life. When I believe God is speaking daily. God is speaking daily. He desires to spend time with you every single day. Now, it's not may not be the audible voice. Josh, I'm speaking to you. It's probably not that, but a guarantee that God has a word for you in your situation, in your day. Hey, you get in a fight with so-and-so, or you have an opportunity here, or you have something else there, and you are allowing time to go on without the word of the Lord coming into your life. The word of the Lord came to Joel, and it was a word for someone else. Are there some of you here tonight who actually have a word for someone, but you have not told them? Careful. Has God given you a word and you have not spoke it? Be listening for the word of the Lord daily in your life. Open your word and allow God to speak to you. When you read, what do you read for it? For more knowledge? Do you just read the Bible just for history and information? Or are you reading so that your life would be impacted and changed forever? I was thinking about that today. As I was preparing for this message, I was like, Lord, 
wow, I can literally come to you every single time. Anytime I hear a message and say, what is the word of the Lord from this message for me, God? Every time, right? But it's interesting how some people come with their ears closed to hear a message, huh? Hey, he who has ears, let him hear what the Lord may say to him or her. So God desires to speak to us tonight. And I ask you the question, family, what is the word of the Lord for your life tonight? Maybe you need to write that down at the top of your notes. What is the word of the Lord for me tonight? And I hope it is answered by the end of the night. Isn't that great? You walk away saying, I know the word of the Lord for me tonight. It was this. Listen closely for God to speak to you heart, and he will. Hear this, you elders, verse 2. Give ear, all inhabitants of the land. So he calls out who? The elders and everyone in the land. Listen up, the leaders. Has such a thing happened in your days or in the days of your fathers? Tell your children of it. Tell your children, tell their children and their children to another generation. Man, it sounds like something big went down, huh? Tell your children and your children's children and tell every single generation to come what has happened. Hmm. Something that just happened last Friday that I think I'll tell for generations and even my kids might tell their kids and their kids might tell their kids is that over 250 people, young people at that, young people, college age, prayed all night long crying out to God for something to happen. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, yeah. That ha- what if I told you a story about a group in the 1700s, young people who got down on their faces in a church and prayed all night long. And there was over 250 of them on their faces. You'd be like, what? That's crazy. We can't get that to happen anywhere. We can't even get a church to pray for, you know, half hour or an hour when we call a prayer meeting. You mean they prayed all night long? This is insane. Yeah, it just happened last Friday night. And I guarantee that that will be passed on from generation to generation because that hasn't happened anywhere. Anywhere. I've never seen it. And I can't believe that I get to be a part of it. Oh, God, what a privilege. What a blessing, King. There's something crazy happening in this day, in Joel's day, and he is saying, listen up, you've got to tell everyone this. Verse 4, look at this. What the cutting locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. What the hopping locust left, the destroying locust has eaten. That's what's happened. The locusts have sweeped into the land and eaten everything. Now, how many of you have actually heard or seen locusts? I remember when I was in, I think it was seventh grade, I went to Vegas um, to hang out with some of my family members. And I remember it, locusts came. And all of a sudden we just hear this, like it was so loud, like ear pierce, huh? Is that it? Is that the sound? It's something like really high pitch, like just really high pitch. And they're everywhere. And you just see them. They're on the tree. They are everywhere. Locusts is everywhere. There's, their wings are just flying everywhere. I mean, it is, they are everywhere. But that was nothing like what's happening here. There are over 90 different kinds of locusts. And this is just four types listed here. 
But these four types have come in and demolished the land. Now we're talking locusts that would cover and fill the sky. Like if you looked up, you couldn't even see the sky. It would be black because there would be so many bugs in the air eating everything. And if locusts swept through this land, through Southern California, they would eat all of the plastic and even start to eat metal. That's how much they would eat. And they would devour every single living thing. Nothing would be able to stand. What happens when you eat all vegetation? Guess what else dies? All the animals. Everything dies. Everything is wiped out. Can you imagine locusts sweeping through America? Who could stop them? What are you going to do? Call the exterminator? Let me go pull up my little truck. (laughs) It's like, what are you going to do? Can you imagine if that happened? That'd be worse than an earthquake, huh? Be worse than a tornado, huh? It'd be worse than a tsunami. It'd be worse than anything if locusts swept through the land and ate everything. We had no vegetable. We have no fruit. We have no trees. We have no plants. We have nothing to feed the animals. And things just start to die everywhere. This is what happened. Look at the technology that we have. Think about back in 1830 BC, this happening. I mean, talk about the economy falling out. This is worse than anyone's ever seen. You think we got it bad. This is detrimental to their very health and life as people. This is what happened. And Joel is saying to them, wake up. This isn't just some random thing with nature. Hello, wake up. I got a message for you. So so think about it. If all of a sudden everything just swarmed through and it just took out everything that we have here in America, then one man, Joel, stands up whose name is Jehovah is God. That's his name. Jehovah is God stands up and says, listen. He says, you want to know why this happened? I'm going to tell you right now. This is what he says. Verse 5, Awake you drunkards and weep and wail, all you drinkers of wine, because of the sweet wine, for it is cut off from your mouth. He calls out drunkards. Isn't that interesting? Sounds like they were partying and doing whatever they want. Listen to me. It sounds like they were partying and doing whatever they want. Listen to me. It sounds like they were partying and doing whatever they want. That sounds familiar. Sounds like a nation I know very well. We do whatever we want to do, huh? Why not? We got the money. We do whatever we want. We live in no submission to God. Last night at the apologetic study, as I was listening to the facts of Islam, the Muslim faith, you listen to the submission that they have towards Allah and the fear that they live in. And I was blown away by it. See, the fear that they have is a wrong kind of fear. I mean, it's a good fear on one hand, but it's bad on the other. Because it creates such guilt and burden on their lives. But I was thinking to myself, it is very close and identical to the way Christianity should be. That when you give your life to God, you are in complete submission to Him. 
And I'm telling you that there are so many walking around that are drunkards and partying that do not weep and do not wail for their sin. And Joel is saying to them, finally, look, all your grapes are gone because the locusts ate them. You can't even make any more wine. It's been cut off from your mouth. You better start weeping and wailing and crying. Listen to this. I got a friend, man, just the most tragic thing that could ever happen in his life has happened. And he's just brushing it off like nothing has happened. Trying to act like nothing has happened in his life. And it is killing me inside. It's like when tragedy hits your life, I hope that you'd wake up. When the locusts come and eat away everything, I hope that the light would turn on in your life. And you wouldn't continue moving that direction like, that's ah, no big deal. I got a divorce, no big deal. I'm just going to move on. I'm just going to brush it off and keep moving forward. Yeah, I got pregnant. It's, it's not that big of a deal. It's okay. It's, I'm, I just got to move on. I got to. Yeah, I got put in jail. Yeah, you know what? I, I just, you know, I'm back on my feet. Hey, when something bad happens in your life, I hope that you would wake up. When the locusts have eaten away and there is no more wine to drink, there is no more way to get drunk, I hope that you would wake up. When the supply is cut off, hey, when your funds are going low, I hope that you would drop on your knees and cry out to God and quit going in that direction. Repent of your sin. Don't go looking for more grapes. And Joel is saying this very clearly. He's like, drunkards, weep and wail. All you drink is of wine. It's cut off from your mouth. It's time to weep and wail. It's time to cry out to God. Verse 6, For a nation has come up against my land, powerful and beyond number. Its teeth are lion's teeth, and its fangs are of lioness. It has laid waste my vine and splendored, splintered my fig tree. It has stripped off their bark and thrown it down. Their branches are made white. You see that? This is what the locusts have done. It's crazy, huh? Even ate the bark off the trees. It says the nation. I like that verse 6. You see that? A nation has come up against my land. The nation is the nation of locusts. <laughs> Can you imagine the president gets on the microphone? We're under attack. The greatest nation we've ever seen has come up against us. Where are they? It's the locusts. Dun, dun, dun. What do you do? How, how can you kill them? You can't. They just keep coming. And that puts into perspective how hopeless we really are as a nation, huh? Even though we got nuclear weapons, what does that do to locusts? I mean, if you think about the mercy that we are at with God, at the snap of a finger, he could do, I mean, he could literally do whatever. We think we are so in control so many times. Listen, this is important. So many times when we think our life is completely under control and we got things together and we know what's going on and we become prideful in what we have. And let's think, start thinking, we, I don't need God, I don't need anybody. I got my own thing going. Guess what happens? The bottom starts to fall out of life, doesn't it? And it will because pride comes before the fall, always. And I see how God has kept me humble through my life. Many times I think, you know, things are together. I got it going. It's, everything's okay. 
All of a sudden, I start acting as if I don't need God, and I put him on the back burner, and I live my own life my way. And all of a sudden, what? The bottom falls out. Careful. Careful. For God can make a move to send a nation towards us that we would never be able to fight. He says this in verse 8, Lament like a virgin, wearing sackcloth for the bridegroom of her youth. What does this mean? Well, a virgin, of course, would signify one that, when getting married, would wear things like what? Silk or some kind of beautiful gown, dress, when they're getting married. But he's saying, wear sackcloth for the bridegroom of your youth. Wear sackcloth. What is that? It's like taking an onion bag or a potato bag and putting that on, right on your skin. You know how itchy that is? And prophets would actually do this in the Old Testament to show that people need to repent. They would throw ashes on their head and they would wear these sackcloths. They would wear these bags. And it would show that it is time to repent because it doesn't feel good. It's not right. You need to give up your luxury and repent for the bridegroom. The relationship with God has been thrown off. Israel. Look at verse 9. The grain offering and the drink offering are cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests mourn and the ministers of the Lord. The ministers of the Lord. Why? Why do the priests mourn? Why do the ministers mourn? Because they're not able to offer anything unto the Lord. Why aren't they willing to o- why aren't they able to offer anything unto God? Because the locusts have eaten everything. They can't even offer unto the Lord anymore. This is incredible. It is hitting everywhere. Destruction is coming. But God is sending it to wake up the people. And I know that there are many churches in this day even hurting now because guess what? When the economy starts to hurt, guess where people stop giving? To the church. And then what happens? The church starts to suffer and they have to lay people off. It's true. It happens. And it's sad. It shouldn't be that way. Speaking of tithes, I was just listening to a message this last week. I couldn't believe it. A man by the name of Francis Chan. Write that name down and go look him up on iTunes podcast and download his messages. If you want to get jacked up, listen to his messages. I was listening to a message and he was talking about how what? This. He started giving. Yeah, pastors give, yeah. They should give just as much, not more, to the church. Yeah, but they get paid by the church. That's right. And 10% of their income go to the church. That's right. And it does. And he started tithing and he started challenging, just challenging God and doing what he had commanded, being obedient. And he said when he first started, he didn't want to take any money from the church. He just wanted to work. And so he did that, and then the people, were, the members were begging him, like, come on, you've got to take some money for your family, you know, and don't, don't have your wife work and all that. And so he's like, okay, so he starts taking $1,000 a month, and then he worked his way up to like $3,000 a month he was taking from the church. And they started just tithing unto the Lord in a real powerful way. He started tithing 10%, of course. He was always tithing 10 Then he, he boosted up to 20%. Then he went up to 30%. said, hey, man, God's blessing me. Why don't I give 40%? Why not 50%? Hey, God keeps blessing. Why not 60%? Why not 70%? God keeps blessing. Why not 
Why not 90%? That's right, he gives 90% of his income to God. He doesn't take a single penny from the church. Nope, they don't pay him anything. He makes almost half a million dollars doing things around the nation, writing books and speaking engagements and conferences and all this. And he gives 90% away. Baruch Hashem. Praise God. Isn't that incredible? And he's chanting in the midst of this hard time in the economy, I'm going to give 90%. Now that's between you and God. I'm not saying you have to be radical and start giving 90% tonight. But isn't that awesome? Isn't God good? God is calling out the people here in that time The priests and the ministers are mourning because they don't even have anything to offer up to me because everything has been eaten away. Everything has been taken. And of course, the church or the people of God aren't tithing or giving anything. In that time, they're partying and being drunk. Verse 10, the fields are destroyed and the grounds mourn because the grain is destroyed. The wine dries up. The oil languishes. Be ashamed, O tillers of the soil. Wail, O vine dressers, for the wheat and the barley because the harvest of the field is perished. The vine dries up, the fig tree languishes. Pomegranate, palm, and apple, all trees of the field are dried up, and gladness dries up from the children of man. Listen, if the bottom falls out of your life, it's time to repent. Hello, wake up. And let me say this to you. I hope you would repent before the bottom has to fall out of your life. I'm scared of God. I walk in fear of my king. You want to know why? Because he has the power and the authority to do anything to me in this life. And I look at the great men who walked in the Bible and they didn't seem to have the most easy lives. Man, God let Job get jacked up, huh? Everything was taken from him. Remember, all of his family was killed. All of his possessions were taken from him. And then what? Even his own health was snatched from him. He sat there with nothing. If one of your family members dies, you cry and you weep. Think about all of your family being taken. And then think about losing your house and your car and everything you have. Sitting there homeless with nothing. All of your money, your bank account gone. Listen. sitting there and then your health and then boils start to come on your body and you use pots pottery you take pieces of pottery and you try to scrape out the pus that is in your skin and you sit there in misery wondering why this is happening to you and this man was the most righteous man in his whole nation And that's when a man is doing something good for God. What happens when somebody's being disobedient to the Lord? You want to be disobedient? Let me break you. Let me allow something to come into your life that is going to break you and open your eyes. Is that what it takes to open your eyes? Are you in sin tonight? What does it take? 
Does God need to break you of this? Does God need to take all of the grain, all of the wine, all of the vineyards away from you? Does he have to have the locusts come in and eat everything out of your life in order for your eyes to be open? Don't let it be. Wake up. It's so sad when I think about one of my friends and what might have to happen to open their eyes. One of the mentors, one of the guys that I look to, he's telling me about his sisters who don't follow the Lord. And he says that they've always been jerks to his to his parents. They've always taken advantage of them. They just always have been, and they supposedly know the Lord, but they've just been jerks all their lives. They just take from people and they're just mean to people. They just use their looks and who they are to advance. Listen, please. And he said to me, he says, I know what it's going to take for their eyes to be open. It's when my parents die. That they will repent and come to God. That's sad. That's sad. That happens a lot of times, doesn't it? God uses crazy situations to break people and open their eyes. Mm Mm-hmm. And that is always the saddest thing and the scariest thing for my life. When I see the sin in my own life and then God says to me, Joshua, listen to me. You don't want me to break you of this. Just repent. You don't want me to allow you to get caught in this. You don't want me to allow you to get busted in this situation. Repent now before the locusts come. And eat your life away. Isn't that sad? See it all the time. The call to repentance. Are you ready? Verse 13. Put on sackcloth and lament. O priests, wail. O ministers of the altar. Go in. Pass the night in sackcloth. O ministers of my God. Because grain offering and drink offering are withheld from the house of your God. Consecrate a fast. Oh, I love this. Joel says, boys, he goes and tells the ministers of God, you better repent now. He goes and tells the church leaders, you better repent. You better turn from your wicked ways and you better call out to the people and tell them they need to repent now. And what does he tell them to do? Fast. Call on a fast. And I was thinking about this. This is awesome. Let's read through it first. It says, consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land of the house of the Lord, and cry out to the Lord. I was thinking about this. I was like, oh, man. I don't know if the day is soon, but it seems like the nation is becoming so wicked here, so wicked here in America, that there may come a day when all of a sudden we just need to say, everybody, you better repent And we're going to call a fast, that's right, all day or all week long or something crazy. And we're going to start telling everyone that this week or these three days we are going to fast. The Church of America needs to fast and get on their face, cry out to God and repent of their wickedness and get things right. Wouldn't that be sweet? Oh, man. 
That'd be so sweet. Ah, I think there's a group of people fasting on Wednesday. That's right. I heard last night. Praise God. Where's Brian? You tell him to remind me to do that tomorrow. That's funny, huh? No, it's not funny. Fasting tomorrow for the Harvest Crusade. Why? So you can get your mind focused on the things of God and not on the things of food and what you want all the time. Consecrate a fast. Call everybody together and cry out to God. At last for the day, verse 15, for the day of the Lord is near, and as destruction from the Almighty it comes. Is not the food cut off before the eyes, joy and gladness from the house of our God? See, I love how he just keeps driving this nail. He's like, hello, asking these questions like, isn't all of your joy gone? Isn't all the gladness taken from you? Isn't everything falling out? And isn't that the story of America right now? The economy has fallen. Everything's being taken away. No job. No money. People can't prosper right now. So you think people would fall on their knees, cry out to God and repent, but no. No, they don't. The seed shrivel under the clods and the storehouse, verse 17, are desolate. And the granaries are torn down because the grain is dried up. How the beasts groan. The herds of the cattle are perplexed because there is no pasture for them. Even the flocks of the sheep suffer. Suffer, I'm sorry. Sheep and suffer. Sheep and suffer together. Suffer. That's a sheep suffering. It's just to say suffer, okay? Verse 19, to you, O Lord, I call. Did you see this? Joel says this. To you, O Lord, I call. For fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness, and flame has burned all the trees of the field. Even the beasts of the field pant for you, because the water brooks are dried up, and fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness. My gosh. What does it take for America to wake up? Is it a nuke? You thought 9-11 was enough, huh? Remember, there's all this unity around 9-11 time. God bless America. Yeah, everybody, the churches are packed. Everybody's pray for America, pray for America. Then what? A year later, get out of here, God. Get those crosses out of every... Get the Ten Commandments down from the courthouse. Get the crosses out of every single city. Get God out of this place. Interesting. What is it going to take? For America to wake up. We're supposed to be God's people. We're supposed to be the Christian nation. Doesn't look like it anymore. The day of the Lord, verse 1, Blow a trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming. It is near. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and thick darkness. Like blackness there is spread upon the mountains. And great, a great and powerful people. Their like has never been before. Nor will be ever after them. Through the years of all generations, fire devours before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but behind them a desolate wilderness. Nothing escapes them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses, and like war horses they run. If you look at a locust up close, their head is almost identical to that of what? A horse. Yeah? 
Check it out for yourself. The locusts, their appearance is like the appearance of horses. And even, I believe, in the Greek language, the word locust in the Greek language is little horse. Interesting. But it says they, they run like war horses they run. Verse 5, and with the rumbling of chariots, they leap on the tops of mountains. It's true. Like the crackling of a flame of fire, devouring the stubble like a powerful army drawn up for battle. You ever seen Lord of the Rings? You remember like, you know, when all the armies just start to just come over the mountain, just start to take over. I mean, it's just, that's what locusts look like. That's exactly how it works. I mean, they come just like this crazy animal, just moving swiftly through things and just devouring everything in sight. And it says that this would be more devastating than anything anyone has ever seen. And it probably is. Nothing escapes them, it says in verse 3. But verse 6, before them, peoples are in anguish. All faces grow pale. Like warriors, they charge. Like soldiers, they scale the wall. They march each on his way. They do not swerve from their paths. They do not jostle one another. Each marches in his path. They burst through the weapons and are not halted. They leap upon the city. They run upon the walls. They climb up into the houses. They enter through the windows like a thief. The earth quakes before them. The heavens tremble. The sun and the moon are darkened. And the stars withdraw their shining. The Lord utters His voice before His army. For his camp is exceedingly great. He who execute his word is powerful. For the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? The day of the Lord was that in that day. The day of the Lord is one that comes powerfully, obviously, in that day. But it also speaks of one that we know in the future, right? There are two days of the Lord that are spoken about. The day of Christ, we know, when Jesus Christ will come back and take his church to heaven and oh what a day that will be wow i always wonder when that will be many argue about the time period of when it will be no one disagrees on whether or not he is everybody just disagrees on the time we know he's coming we know he's coming soon that we are to be watching and praying for the day of the lord is approaching us but there is another day the day when the Lord establishes his kingdom here on this earth once again. We've talked about this before just a few weeks back. Talking about when Jesus Christ our king will stand there in Jerusalem. And he will build his temple. And he will sit there and reign over the earth. And we know at the end of that reign that he will judge all things and all people. The day of the Lord... It is a scary day for those who are not walking with Christ. And so, verse 12. Yet even now, declares the Lord. Are you ready? This is awesome. Underline this. This is great. Don't miss this. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Rent your hearts and not your garments. That's awesome. The priests in the Old Testament, you know what they would do? When something bad happened, 
when something when when the people were in rebellion or something bad happened in their home, they would rip their shirts, they would rip their gowns. Just right here, it'd be like if all of a sudden I found out maybe my father died or or maybe I found out that my brother was running into the things of the world and all of a sudden I just found out I just took my shirt in an agony and just ripped it. Just ripped it in agony and then threw ashes on my head and just cried out to God. It's a sign of saying, I can't believe this is happening. I'm broken before you, God. What am I to do? But what does God say to the people? He said, no more tearing of your shirt. He says, rent your heart. I don't care about a torn shirt. I don't care even about hands lifted high. I don't care about these actions and things that you show me, these sacrifices that supposedly you give to me. I want a broken heart. I want a broken and contrite spirit before me, God says. And there are many of you who have come tonight and you think because you're here at Bible study, you're doing something good. God says, coming to Bible study is cool, but that doesn't mean much to me when your heart is not rent before me. God wants a broken heart. God wants a humble spirit. God wants people who do not show a bunch of outward works. He wants to see an inward change. He wants to see honesty before him. Verse 13, rent your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful. (laughs) Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Family, has there ever been a time when you have turned to God and you had said, nope, you can't come back this time? Wouldn't that be a sad day? After living your lifestyle and running with your sin, the day you choose to come back to God, he says, nope. You're too late. Sorry. And that's sad. Do you know that a day can come for some people? What are you talking about, Josh? The day of the Lord. The return of Christ. Do you know that because there are so many people in this room, that Jesus Christ could come back and that there could be some sitting here in this coffee shop sitting here staring at this microphone you cannot even believe it do you know that will actually happen that will really happen to people remember two will be in a field working huh one will be taken and the other will be left huh one will be laying in, two will be laying in a bed a husband and wife and one will be taken and the other will be sitting there in their bed wouldn't that be sad The reality of this, even though you've heard it a million times, is so true that it could even happen tonight. But, oh God, I cry out to my king that it would. That your heart would be rent before God before that happens. That you would not be a bunch of fluff on the outside. You wouldn't be some front master to the world. You would be the real deal in Jesus' name. You know there's going to be preachers that are going to be left too? What? There'll be preachers, maybe even there on Sunday morning, preaching to their congregation, and God will snatch up many people in their crowd, and they'll be standing there. 
That's the saddest day. In that day, God will say, you were too late. And there is a coming a day for many. When you die, you will stand before God and you never have another chance to get things right with him again. You never have another chance. That's why God is saying clearly, he's like, rent your hearts, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God tonight. He's a gracious king. He loves you. He's merciful and he's slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Isn't that a great God? How many people do you know that would never stop taking you back? Ever. They're just never going to stop. They're just going to always take you back. Always for the rest of your days. Like Maybe my mom. Yeah. But your God has taken your mom back a million times. And he loves you. And he will pursue you till the end. God loves you. Don't miss out on the blessing that he has for your life. Don't miss out on the great things he wants to do for you. Look at verse 15. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Consecrate a fast. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the people. Consecrate the congregation. Assemble the elders. Gather the children, even the nursing infants. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep and say, Spare your people, O Lord. Make not your heritage a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the people, where is their God? That's a sad prayer to have to pray, but we need to pray it all the time. Look at verse 18. Then the Lord became jealous for his... Oh, this is... Now, are you ready for this? You got to get ready for this because this is, this is huge. This is a blessing in Scripture. Gird up your minds. Stay focused. This call to repentance, look what the Lord does. Oh, man. I, don't, I just, I feel like I don't want to move forward until our hearts are ready to receive this. Because this is the grace of God over and over and over and over again. What's the story of the Christian life? You turn from God. Then you repent and you come to him. God welcomes you with open arms, blesses you. Then you turn away from God again. You walk away from God. God welcomes you with open arms. You repent. You start walking with him. He blesses you. Then you repent. You turn from him again and you repent and you turn back to God and you start walking with him and he blesses you. And then what? You turn from him again. This is the story of grace. And I want you to see the sweetness of this. Just please hear the compassion of our Father who is in heaven. Please hear the heart of your God as you read this. Look at what he's saying to you. Verse 18. 
Then the Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people. The Lord answered and said this to his people, Behold, family, behold, I am sending to you grain. Because there is no grain, is there? I'm sending wine because there's no grapes. I'm sending oil. And you will be what? Satisfied. And I will no more make you a reproach among the nations. I will remove the northerner far from you and drive him into a parched and desolate land, his vanguard into the eastern sea and his rear guard into the western sea. The stench and foul smell of him will rise for he has done great things. Fear not, O land. Be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. This awesome. Aren't you so happy that God always gives you another chance? Always. And listen, he is always willing to restore what the locust is what? Eaten away. Isn't that crazy? You know, a lot of people just look at you and say, you reap what you sow. And you do. It's like you don't work hard and so you get fired. And so it's like, aha, you're bad. You don't work hard and so just take it. But you know what your boss in heaven does? I'll give you another job. But I'm such a slacker worker. I know. I know you are. I know you. And I'll give you another job. He keeps blessing and he keeps giving to his people over and over again. And I cannot stress this enough. How gracious and merciful, what a blessing he is. There's this song that I always listen to to prepare my heart. It's by Keith Green. And it's called, I Can't Believe It. And the chorus says, oh, I can't believe that you gave everything for me. I can't believe it. And I play it because it just breaks my heart every time. Because I know who I am. I can't believe that God gave everything for me. And that he keeps giving and he keeps giving. And he says, fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice. He says that you should be glad and rejoicing at what God has done for you. For the, for the Lord has done great things, has he not? Hasn't the Lord been good to us? Hasn't the Lord been good? Done all the things that he said he would. Verse 22, fear not, you beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness are green. The trees, the tree bears its fruit, and the fig tree and the vine give their full yield. Be glad. And I just got to tell people that sometimes. You just got to look him in the face and say, be glad, you know. They put a smile on already. Has God not saved you? That's, that thing, that bugs me so much about those Christians who are like always down. Remember the old church I used to go to, man? They were just always seems like everybody talked about how bad life was all the time. Just like, get out of here. I mean, what God do you serve? Be glad in Jesus' name. What's wrong with you? And I truly believe that's what it comes down to. It's not like you don't have the blessings of God. It's not like you don't have salvation. You're not going to heaven when you die. It's you sitting around all day moping about your problems and thinking about you all day. You want to be sad? 
I'll give you a hint how to be. Think about you. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, this isn't working for this. Is isn't that what we do? Poor me. I don't have this, and I need this, and I want that, and I. And the Lord's looking down, saying, "I gave you the greatest gift I could ever give you. I gave you my son." And that's enough joy, isn't it, family? That's enough joy to sustain us for the rest of eternity, isn't it? He's given you his son. I love what my buddy Christian used to tell me. I'd be like, Christian, you've got to pray for this man. You've got to pray and ask God for me. He'd be like, Josh. The Lord has given you his son. You think that this small thing over here is too much to ask for? He's already given you so much. It's like he's given you the greatest gift ever. Ever. This is just some little thing over off in the corner. It's okay. You can ask him for it. Now, if he gave you a cracker and you're like, hey, God, can I have a diamond? That's asking much, isn't it? But he's given you so much more than any diamond on the face of the earth or anything this world could ever purchase or buy. He's given you a son. David says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, O Lord. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. But what? Restore unto me the what? Joy of thy salvation, your Son. Renew a right spirit within me. When I say be glad, maybe some of you need to pray that prayer. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Renew a right spirit within me because I'm a little jerk thinking about me all the time. Recognize what God has given you. And verse 23, be glad, O children of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given the early rain for your vindication. I'm sorry. He has poured down for your abundant rain. The early and the latter rain as before. The threshing floor shall be full of grain. The vat shall overflow with wine and oil. I will restore you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. The hopper, the destroyer, the cutter, my great army which I sent among you. Who sent that? God sent that. Isn't that crazy? Who sent the locust? God did. God sent the locust to destroy everything? Yeah. You know what the greater question is? Would God send locusts into your life? Not me. I'm one of his children. Does God need to send locusts into your life? That's the question. I wonder if there's something in your life that almost needs to be eaten away so that God can restore back tenfold. You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes there's things in our lives that we hold on to so tightly. God says, I'm going to send the locust to eat that away and take that out of your life. Like, no, God, please don't do this. He takes it from you, huh? 
and it breaks your heart. It destroys you. And then he does a greater work than he's ever done in your life. Careful. Why not just rent our hearts tonight? Why not just be completely turned towards the Lord today? Before he has to do something like that. One thing I have noticed is that in order for the Lord to do great things in your life, great tragedy has to come. I don't really see it any other way. Every single man in the Bible, every single prophet, Every single person that feared God, I see tragedy hit them. And it's not the easiest thing, is it? What did Noah have to do? An outcast for a hundred years. You think that was easy? I don't have any friends. Go talk to Noah. Moses had to spend 40 years in the desert, didn't he? 40 years for God to break him and open his eyes so that he could use him. Joseph, how many years in prison? 20 years in prison before God could use him. David. David, his boy. Great tragedy fell and hit his life too, didn't it? In a couple different ways, Saul came to kill him. You know that. But he brought sin upon his own life and he was broken deeply. Remember, God took that child from him. Do you remember? He got Bathsheba pregnant and then killed her husband. Then he cried out to God for the child. Don't kill the child. Please don't take the child from me. He fasted all week and prayed, cried out to God, and God took the child. The child died, broke him. When God breaks a man or a person, he always puts back what has been broken. He always works it out. He always fixes it. And that's the confidence that you have. The sad thing and the scary thing is, is I always wonder. I mean, I've had some pretty crazy stuff happen in my life, but I wonder what's, what's going to happen in order for my eyes to be open. I lost my mom when I was eight years old. That was a pretty crazy breaking time for me and my family. And then I remember when my dad just, he couldn't even buy us Christmas presents. And then we lost the house and we lost the car and we lost everything. I remember. When 9-11 happened, I was in a hotel living there with my family. I saw it on the TV. And I remember just crying for my dad many nights. Because I wondered why things just couldn't work out for us and our family. And sure, I mean, disaster has come, but God has done great things through it. That's what he always does. 
Family, I'm here to tell you that God will allow tragedy and things to come into your life only so that he can be glorified. And when the locusts come, don't get scared. You lift your hands and praise God. You rent your heart immediately, not your garments. You don't need to go to church. You need to get on your face in your room and cry out to your God. Get things right with him. You need to cling to your God when the locusts come. That is the word of the Lord. And when you do, verse 24, the threshing floor shall be full of grain. And the vats shall overflow with wine and oil. And I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust is eaten. You shall be, I'm sorry, verse 26, you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dwelt wondrously with you. And my people shall never, what? Never again be put to shame. Isn't that awesome? What a great verse to underline. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, that I am the Lord your God, and there is none else, and my people shall never again be put to shame. Never again be put to shame. That's going to be a wondrous day. Verse 28, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit. Anyone know where that com- that's coming from? Do you remember who quoted that? Peter, where? In Acts, Acts chapter 2. He said that. And do you know that it is happening in this day? This prophecy is coming to pass in this day. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of, that the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Oh, man. Did you hear that? Anyone who calls upon the Lord can what? Be saved. Huh? Be- what? Anyone. Who's that? Is that anyone or what? Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall what? Huh? I think they might be saved or something. Isn't that crazy? All you got to do is call out to God. And you can be saved. From your sin. Save from the locusts. Our God is so good. You don't even have to do anything. All you got to do is call on the Lord. And we are wicked people. For God just says, call unto me and I'll save you. And we say, no, we don't want to call on you. We love our sin. That's sad. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be those who escape As the Lord has said, among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. Are you ready? You're like, Josh, it looks like a lot there. It's it's just, it's a lot of future stuff and prophetic stuff. And so I'm going to blow through it. Take a look with me. Verse 1, for behold, 
Read with me. Verse 1, read with me. Gird up your minds. Don't let your eyes wander and your minds fall asleep. You can do it. You can control yourself. Verse 1, for behold, in those days, at that time when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of what? Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat. And I will enter into judgment with them there on behalf of my people and my heritage Israel because they have scattered them among the nations and divided up my land and have cast lots for my people and have traded a boy for a prostitute and have sold a girl for wine and drunk and drunk it what are you to me O Tyre and Sidon and all the regions of uh-oh Philistia yeah it's uh that's that is it's it's the Philistines are you paying me back for something if you are paying me speedily. For you have taken my silver and my gold and have carried my rich treasures into your temples. You have sold the people of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks in order to remove them far from their own border. Behold, I will stir them up from the place to which you have sold them. I will return your payment on your own head. I will sell your sons and your daughters into the hand of the people of Judah, and they will sell them to the Sabians." To the nation far away, for the Lord has spoken. Proclaim this among the nations. Consecrate for war. Stir up the mighty men. Let all the men of the war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am a warrior. The day is coming when the wicked will be delivered into the hands of the righteous. It's true. I think... I do, I pity the wicked because I feel so bad for them because as much as they mock on MTV and they make fun and they call out God and they laugh and all these things, I pity them because there will come a day when they will stand before God and that is a scary day. To stand before the living. I mean, I remember thinking about that when Michael Jackson died. It's like, what is he doing when he's looking into God's face? Nothing. Nothing. He is not the king of pop in God's eyes. You are my creation and I am your king. And that's a scary day for Medi, isn't it? You may be called the king on here on this earth, but when you get to heaven, you're nobody. It doesn't matter who you think you are here on this earth, your status, it doesn't matter. In heaven, the playing field is leveled. That's why you definitely want to make sure you're on God's side. Don't mess with that one. Verse 11, hasten and come, all your surrounding nations, and gather yourselves there. Bring down your warriors, O Lord. Let the nations stir themselves and come up into the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is right. Go in, thread, for the winepress is full. The vats overflow, for their evil is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. Oh, in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon are darkened and the stars withdraw their shining. The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. And the heavens and the earth quake. But the Lord is a refuge to his people. A stronghold to the people of Israel. Listen. This valley of decision is coming to all that you know. Did you know that? 
The valley of decision is coming to many even here this weekend. Do you understand that? That there is opportunity for you to reach out to your family members and friends this weekend in the valley of decision. And do you know if they do not make a decision to follow Jesus Christ, that when they stand before God, they will be the enemy of God in that moment. For God cannot look upon sin. It cannot be in His presence. Look, people will go to hell. And people you know will go to hell. We must do something about this. Isn't it amazing that God has given us the ability to play part in this? I believe one of the greatest distractions, so one of the greatest attacks of the enemy is to distract us from what hell really means and how heavy of a consequence this really is. Hey, if you don't think hell is that big of a deal and it's just become some word to you, you don't understand, you don't know, it doesn't mean anything, then you just you kind of become numb to it. It's like, yeah. They may go to hell. I remember reading a book called, I think it's Heaven, Yes, Hell, No, or something like this. And I remember reading about the guy who had written this book and the reason why he did, he was a doctor who was working on a patient. And this patient all of a sudden was in a coma, but he woke up and he started screaming. At the top of his lungs, this grown man was screaming, screaming, saying that he was going to hell. And the doctor's looking at this guy's face and he's like, what's going on? And all of a sudden he passes out again. And he's trying to resuscitate him, trying to bring him back. And the guy wakes up again and he's screaming, I'm going to hell. I'm going, he's screaming in agony, I'm going to hell. And the guy's looking at him in the face, he doesn't know what to do. Just trying to bring him back to life. It happens like three times and the guy dies. And it just, it, it wrecked this doctor. He went on the pursuit to find God and he found Jesus Christ and he wrote this book. I don't know what it takes. Does it take one of your own loved ones dying in front of your face and recognizing that they did not have Jesus Christ in their life but rejected God and you recognize that they'll be separated from God for eternity? Is that, I mean, is that what it takes? Does it take the reality of hitting you? I don't know. I believe that many Christians in here tonight are numb because you don't preach the gospel. You don't tell the truth to the people around you. So what can I say? Those who do not know God will be separated from him forever, but he says that he will be the refuge to his people. So verse 17, So you shall know that I am the Lord your God who dwells in Zion, my holy mountain, and Jerusalem shall be holy, and strangers shall never again pass through it. 
And in that day the mountains shall drip sweet wine, and the hills shall flow with milk, and the stream beds of Judah shall flow with water, and a fountain shall come forth from the house of the Lord, and water in the valley of Shittim. This is speaking of a time when there will be peace and prosperity on this earth in the future. It's when our Jesus, our King, will actually reign here on this earth. Verse 19, Egypt shall become a desolation and Edom a desolate wilderness for the violence done to the people of Judah because they have shed innocent blood in their land. But Judah shall be inhabited forever and Jerusalem to all generations. I will avenge their blood, blood I have not avenged, for the Lord dwells in Zion. And that's the story. And that's the message for tonight. The word of the Lord is very clear for us tonight, isn't it? Family, are you here with me? God is speaking to you tonight saying this. Do the locusts have to come and devour everything away in order for your eyes to be opened that you would repent and turn towards your God so that he could restore all that has been taken from you? If the word of the Lord is speaking to you, do not harden your heart. God loves you. And he desires great things in your life. Has God not been saying to you the whole time, don't play in the mud. I want to take you on a trip around the world. I want to show you things you could never even dream of. I want to use you in ways that you can't even imagine. I have a plan and a purpose for your life. And you're like, no, mud is fun. I like playing in the world. Yeah, this is fun. I'm having such a great time. Really? I mean, really? When I was playing in the world at church, I mean, it was fun like for that long. I recognize how much I just wrecked my life and just ruined things for myself. God is saying I have a great plan for you. I want to use you. I can't believe what God has done in my life. Look at me. Do I look like a preacher? Shouldn't I have a tie on or something? What am I doing? I just realized I've been preaching for 10 years. Can you believe that? I'm 27. I struggled through many of those years, but I started teaching the Bible in high school. I can't believe that. And I'm so thankful that God changed me because I see all my friends' lives who are running from God, chasing the wind, looking for that next thing. No satisfaction, no contentment in life and I'm saying to you tonight repent we don't need any outward motion we don't need anything clever and cool and flashy for religion and 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 we don't need that God looks on your heart he says where's your heart at where are you at with me so I'm going to pray for everybody in here tonight I'm just going to pray that we would rent our hearts before God that we would move forward from this point on. Amen? Can we do that? 
Let's pray. Lord, I'm so thankful that you don't look on the outside. You could really care less what people look like or how they dress or even these religious signs and things we try to do to make ourselves look holy. You don't care about any of that. You look straight to the heart and you see every single person on the face of the earth. And despite how wicked they are on the inside, how much they lie and are deceitful and are always selfish in thinking about them, you say, I still love you. And I will pursue you. And I actually sent my son to die for you. So you could have a relationship with me and go to heaven when you die. What a great God. You are such a great king. And Lord, I have no other choice but to submit my life completely to your authority. I give you all of my life. And I believe there are some here tonight that need to rent their hearts before you. Not in an outward showing of ripping their garment, but an inward work on their own heart. And I pray for every single one hearing this prayer right now, God, that they would say in themselves, God, I rent my heart before you. I rent my heart in this moment. And I want to come broken before you and ask that you do a new work in my heart. That you change me. I want to follow you. I want to seek you from this moment on. I'm sick of living my lifestyle. I want to run towards yours. I pray for every single one, God, who has prayed that or is saying that in their own heart, God, that you would fill them even now, that your spirit, that the spirit of God would literally come down and dwell in them and that they would start to move forward in their life like never before, pursuing Jesus, living for Jesus, loving people in the name of Jesus. Please help us, Lord. We thank you for being a God who restores all the years that the locusts have come in and eaten away. You say you'll restore it tenfold, hundredfold. And you have in my life, and I am forever thankful and grateful. Love you, King. Anything you need, you let me know. I'm here for you. I'm here to serve you all the days of my life. I pray the same prayer for these. Bless them and keep them. May your face shine upon them. In Jesus' name, amen.